The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. Let us open our Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 22. It's a few short little verses, verses uh, 41 through 45. I'm going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we'll talk about it for a little bit before we share together in communion, as it is the first Sunday of the month of October. So, Matthew chapter 22, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Christ, the Messiah? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. He said to them, how then does David in the spirit call him Lord? saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. David then calls him, which would have been his descendant son, Lord. How is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him any more. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we pray the Holy Spirit will lead and guide us, and I pray, Lord, that this is something very important, because uh, this is coming directly from you. These are your words. They came from your heart. They were spoken by your mouth with tremendous power, with great authority, and with supernatural divine revelation. And therefore, I pray that all who hear this message, Lord, they will hear what the Spirit is saying to us, and that we would receive it, that we would believe and trust in it, and experience the presence and the power of the living God, to be set free, to be saved, to be delivered, to be healed, Lord, to be all that you have designed for us to be. We ask all of these things in the worthy and precious name of Jesus, and everyone said, Amen. Okay, so the most important question in the world is, who is Jesus Christ? Now, the world has never lacked for answers, ideas, opinions of what they think about Jesus. We know that there were certain Pharisees, so going all the way back to Jesus' time, uh, the Pharisees, the religious leaders, some of them, accused him of casting out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. So those who were contemporary with Jesus saw him cast demons out of people, uh, in, you know, in a synagogue or wherever it may be, and they could not deny it was happening. They could not deny that it was supernatural. So the only thing they could do is say, well, the reason you're able to cast out those nasty demons is that you're Beelzebub, you're, the, in the, you're a demon, or you're the head of all the demons, which Jesus immediately said, so wait a second, you're saying, so Satan is casting out his own people? Well, that's crazy because a house divided against itself will not stand. He said on the face of it, it doesn't even make sense. By the second century AD, after the church began to grow beyond from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then began to spread throughout the Roman Empire, by the second century AD, they were claiming that Jesus pr practiced magic and that he had led Israel astray. Well, so let's go from 2,000 years ago to a little bit more modern times, though it might seem 
a little ancient for us, but really not that long ago in the perspective of history. There was a man named uh, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, philosopher, a French philosopher. Some of you maybe have read or heard of him or through college or whatever, and this is what he said. When Plato describes his imaginary righteous man loaded with all the punishments of guilt, yet meriting the highest rewards of virtue, he describes exactly the character of Jesus Christ. The life and death of Jesus are those of a god. That's what Rousseau said. Later, there was another man, uh, quite famous as a poet and writer. His name was Ralph Waldo Emerson. He held that Jesus is the most perfect of all men who have ever appeared on the earth. Okay, that's a nice compliment about Jesus. And then there was another guy. You know who this guy is, right? I don't know why he was always doing this. I don't know what that was about Napoleon, but he, he liked that pose. And, you know, the leader of the French and the military and all the rest. But here's what, I don't know if you knew what Napoleon said, something about Jesus. This is what he said. I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ was not a man. Then there's another writer. This guy, especially coming now and a little bit more toward our times and as far as influence, his name is H.G. Wells. He's called the father of all science fiction writing, which seems like, you know, science fiction has taken over movies and all the rest of it. And he wrote, you know, of course, the book, The War of the Worlds. But H.G. Wells once said this, when I was asked, which single individual has left the most permanent impression on uh, the world? The man manner of the questioner almost carried the implication that it was Jesus of Nazareth. I agreed. Jesus stands first. So here's all these worldly people, smart people, writers, thinkers, poets, who had complimentary things to say about Jesus. But even as all of these will admit to acknowledging Jesus to a certain level, many of the people, even to this day, who do not trust Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior still rank him as the highest model of humanity, but here is the problem in the shortfall. But they deny that he was anything more than just a man. And that is the whole central question that Jesus now brings up. So who is really the Messiah? Is he just a man, a physical descendant of David, an earthly kind of ruler monarch, or is there something more divine about him? I want to say this. Christianity has always found its most radical detractors and enemies and those who deny the deity of Jesus Christ. The battle lines of the Bible and biblical Christianity are drawn at the very issue of Jesus' divinity. And what's interesting is that we have just had three different groups, you know, the Sadducees, the Pharisees, the scribes and lawyers of the laws of Moses come at Jesus with question after question after question. Jesus has parried them all. He has answered them all. But what makes this story this morning different is for the very first time, Jesus says, now I have a question for you. And by asking this question about the Messiah, who is he? Whose son is he? Jesus is going to bring a scripture from the Old Testament that they are familiar with that will reveal the Messiah is a man. He is a physical descendant of David. 
But David, by the Spirit, said, and that man through me and that son who shall come, I will call Lord, meaning divinity. So Jesus really has them here. So I want to look at this, if you want to write this down. The answers often given about Jesus. Who do you think Jesus is? Or what do you think about Jesus? Are true, but they are inadequate. Again, verse 41, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them, saying, what do you think about the Messiah or the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. So here are the Pharisees. They're gathered together by themselves, and no doubt they're perplexed uh, more than ever before. How do we trap Jesus? They kept trying to trap Jesus, and he kept getting out of it. They wanted to get rid of him. They wanted to eliminate him. The thing that bothered them the most was that he was claiming divine origins. So they said to him, son of David, he is the son of David, which is actually true. That answer is right, but it's only half of the story. So the Pharisees are giving what is fairly simple, what is fairly obvious, but they are convinced the Messiah is only a man. And the only identity that they took seriously about the Messiah is that he's a physical son of David. Now, throughout the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew's been saying, Jesus is the son of David. He is the son of David. He is the son of David. The people, when they needed a miracle, would say, son of David, have mercy upon me. There's nothing wrong with that. He was a man. That's the whole point of the Gospel, is that God made himself come in the form of a man to reach out to humanity and their cries and their needs, and their desires, and their hearts cry. But Jesus was saying, on that part, not only is the Messiah a son physically in the lineage of David, he goes, I am of physically the lineage of David. And guess what? They never challenged that. Trust me, if they could prove that Jesus was not physically from the line of David, they would have gone after him. But it was incontestable uh, that Jewish authorities knew he literally had come from the line of David, so they were distressed. And yet, though he is physically the descendant of David, the Messiah, the scriptures hint there's something way more, much bigger than this. So I'm going to share with you a couple of scriptures. Here's one from the prophet Amos, chapter 9, verse 11. Let's read this out loud. On that day, I will raise up the tabernacle of David, which has fallen down, and repair its damages. I will raise up its ruins and rebuild it as in the days of old. The tabernacle of David, the tent of David. We're just talking about an event coming this coming week called the tent of David. What's that all about? This is before they built the temple. The story goes that David came to God and he said, God, I love you, I worship you. David was perhaps the greatest worshiper of God in the Old Testament. In fact, so much so. He was not just a shepherd that became the king. He was a poet. He was a lover of God. He wrote songs. He worshiped the Lord. God said, now that is a man after my own heart. And David said, God, I want to build you a house. I want to build you a house where your people can gather together and worship and give you the glory For you are worthy all that you have done and all that you have made. That was a beautiful prayer. And and I'm sure it touched the heart of God. But God came to David and he said, David, I love you, son. And I'm paraphrasing. He said, but you can't build my house, son. 
I love you, David, but your hands, you're a man of war. Your hands are bloody hands, and I cannot allow a man with blood on his hands to build my house. I'm sure that was very disappointing to David. Have you ever prayed for something, wanted something, and you desired it so bad, and it was a good thing, and you wanted to do it for God or for his glory, and God says, I'm sorry, but for one reason or another, you can't do it. But the story doesn't end there. After the disappointing blow of, sorry, David, you can't build my house, God said, but guess what? I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to do something for you. So I want to say to all of you that maybe in the past you had a dream, you had a desire, you had a vision, you wanted to do something good or something great or something glorious for God, and God said, no, you can't do it, and you feel, oh, cheated and robbed in some way, know this. If God has denied you anything your heart desired to do, here's what the Bible says, God reckoned it unto David as if he had done it. He got credit for it. Just He said, in that it was in your heart to do it for me, it's as good as if you had done it, David. Is that good? But then God said, but I'm going to do something for you. I'm going to build you a house. And what God meant was, David, I have chosen you out of all the families, you know, because it had been narrowed down uh, from Abraham to Jacob, the 12 tribes, the Messiah will come through out of the 12 tribes, the tribe of Judah, but Judah's got many families. And so God narrowed down all the families in Judah. He said, I want the Messiah to come from David's family. The Messiah will be a descendant of David because I love David. So that's where that came from. And then God said, now I'm going to build you a house. David, through your line, I've chosen your family, your descendants, that the Messiah will come. And so here's what David did. He, so he, he, God said, your son can build it. Solomon will build the temple. In the meantime, there was the tabernacle, the tent. Uh, and and it, David had it on Mount Moriah. Um, and there was no temple yet. So it's the same tent that was in the wilderness with Moses. And now here it is on Mount Moriah. And you know what David did? He started accumulating all the materials, all the wealth, all the gold, all the silver, all the special stuff and the wood and everything. And he, he, got, it all, he got all the materials lined up so Solomon could build the temple. But in the meantime, he said, I want worshipers. I want all the priests. I want all the Levites. I want worship continuously around the tent, the tabernacle. I want there to be prayer continuously. So literally, there were different uh, rotations of priests who came and literally in Jerusalem, out Mount Moriah, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, weeks all the way through a year, continuously, there was the sound of praise, worship, and prayer surrounding the tent of God. Now, sadly, because Israel rebelled, Solomon got filled with pride, and then they lost the temple and they were taken to Babylon. As it were, David's tent fell and collapsed. But God promised through Amos, he says, there will be a descendant who is physically of the line of David, and he's talking about the Messiah. He will take that tent of continuous praise and worship, and he shall resurrect it. It shall be fallen no longer. He's talking about the Messiah. And now Jesus is saying that Messiah is him. So look at with me, Micah chapter five, verse two. Let's read this scripture out loud. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of you shall come forth to me the one to be ruler in Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. So here's the prophecy, hundreds of years in advance, Okay, so we know it's David's 
One of his descendants will be the Messiah. Now he narrows it down. Here's the, it's a little tiny village. Bethlehem is about seven miles from Jerusalem. It's where they raise sheep. Remember the, the night the shepherds, you know, the, the, the angels came and there were shepherds because that's what they did in Bethlehem. They raised sheep. How appropriate that Jesus was born in the place where they raised lambs. Behold the Lamb of God that becomes, has come to take away the sins of the world. So it's very beautiful and precious. But okay, this one that is born in Bethlehem, who's going to be the ruler in Israel, who is he? Whose goings forth are from of old, how old? From everlasting. You know what that word everlasting means in Hebrew? Eternity. All of a sudden, we're not just talking about a man who was born at a certain time in the human history. We're talk this was a divine prophecy and Jesus is now bringing to them in your own prophets and within the scriptures you've had for centuries, God declared, yes, the Messiah will be a man. He will physically be a descendant of David for God has designed it so, but he's more than a man. His coming is from ancient times and he goes all the way back to everlasting. He's eternal. And the only way, and no man is eternal. The only one who is, and not even angels, are eternal. There's only one in the universe who is eternal, and that is God, deity. And that's what Jesus is saying. So now, the infinite reality of Jesus' divinity, verses 43 through 45, and we'll close with this. In verse 43, so, he, so they said, yeah, the son of David. On the human level, yes, you're right, but there's more. He said to them, how then does David, in the spirit, Call his son Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. If David then calls him Lord, by the way, the term Lord is deity, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day on did anyone dare question him anymore. So I want you to know that the term Lord, capital L-O-R-D, kurios in Greek, Adonai in Hebrew are the most common designations for deity in the Bible. And in this Psalm 110, verse 1, written by David, he says, the Lord, look, look at the first line of that verse there. The Lord said to my Lord. And the first word Lord is all capitals. Capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. And do you know what that tells you and me with our little English Bibles here? If we were looking at Hebrew, it's not the word Lord. What it literally, capital L all the way across capital letters is the name of God that God revealed himself to Moses. And the Jewish people, it's the name of God. And it's so holy that they didn't write the vowels. They would just write the consonants, which is Yod, Hey, Vav, Hey. So they said, don't say it. We're not holy enough to say it. So they would just put in Lord. You know who we're talking about. That's what, that's what it's saying. It's really a description of, we don't even know to this day exactly how to pronounce it, Yehovah or Yahweh, but it's God's name. As it were, God the Father, the creator of all things said to my Lord, this is the descendant of David who is being called capital L-O-R-D, which is also a sign of deity. So basically, here's Jesus' argument. If the Messiah is just a man and the human son of David, how does David, by the Spirit, call him Lord, 
saying, the Lord said to my Lord. Even in the Gospel of Mark, it, it says David wrote this by the Holy Spirit. And it is said that this, this particular scripture, Psalm 110 verse 1, was the number one scripture in all the Old Testament that all of the Jewish people said, this is a messianic psalm. It's describing the Messiah. So three things quickly that we learn here. Number one, David was speaking under the inspiration of God's spirit when he wrote it. Number two, every Jew recognized Psalm 110 verse one as being written by David as the clearest messianic passage in the entire Old Testament. And thirdly, and most important of all, Jesus was declaring the Messiah's deity. He is called Lord. So essentially what you have here is this, in this prophecy, the Lord, Yehovah, Yahweh, let's say the Father, says to the Lord that you who are sitting, you sit at my right hand until I make all your enemies your footstool. So basically, th this is the, the story. For God so loved the world, God the Father, that he sent and gave his only begotten son to die on the cross, to be buried, uh, on, and then on the third day to resurrect. No man can resurrect after being dead. Only God could resurrect on the third day. It proves who he is. It proves he is who he claimed to be, that he has the power that he claimed to have. And then he ascended and he rose up to sit at the right hand. So now the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, the Father, is saying to his son, you sit here next to me at the right hand and I will go down to the world and I will make every one of your enemies Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. God the Father is gonna make sure that that happens. You sit here, son, at my right hand. And interestingly, that very word to sit means co-equal, co-authority. You sit here, son, after all that Jesus has done, all that he gave of himself, all of the love and obedience, that he demonstrated by coming from heaven to the earth to die, be buried, to resurrect. And then it was saying, you sit here, son. Now that you've done that, you've revealed my heart and my love for humanity. Now I'm going to come down. I'm going to make every one of your enemies. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess Jesus is Lord. The reason that Jesus' divinity and deity is important as the Messiah is this. If he's just a man, we're in big trouble. But because he is not just a man, he is a man, and he is a descendant of David, but he's also deity, he's the revelation of the Father, it means because of his deity and divinity, he can be our savior. He's our savior. The deity of Christ shows that he has the power and he has the authority to save all who call on the name of the Lord, all who ask for forgiveness, all who will confess that he is Lord. He has the power to save. Hallelujah. <laughs> Jesus shares with God all the attributes of omnipotence. He is creator, controller, provider, healer. He did all of those things like his father. Secondly, Jesus shares all the attributes of omnipresence. He said, even when there are just two or three of you gathered together, I will be there with you in the midst of you. And he has all the attributes of omniscience. 
He knew what his disciples were thinking, though they said nothing. He knew what his enemies were thinking, though they had not uttered a word. And therefore, look with me in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Let's read this scripture out loud. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. That's the proof of his divinity, is the resurrection. That's the gospel. And in John 1, 14, this is the gospel right here. I love this. This is my favorite verse. Let's read it out loud. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So this is how John, the apostle John, the apostle Jesus loved, how he starts his gospel. In chapter one, verse one, he says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. In verse 18, he says, and no man hath at any time seen God, but the only begotten Son, who's from the bosom of the Father, he has declared him, made him visible, seen, and known. That's who Jesus is. The reason he can sit at the right hand of the Father is he's co-equal in identity. He said, I and my Father are one. And because Jesus, the Messiah, yes, the Son of David, but he is also deity, the Son of God. And therefore, he has power to save, power to deliver, power to give eternal life, power to make you his eternal son or daughter, power to bring you into his kingdom, power to bring his kingdom from heaven to the earth forever and ever and ever. Amen? Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our weekend services held Saturday evening or Sunday morning. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.